beloved congregation of the Lord, will you read with me again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Well, it's sometimes asked, what period of church history would you like to live in? Would you like to live in the days of the great revivals of George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards? Would you like to live in the days of the Reformation of John Calvin and Martin Luther? Maybe there's someone here, maybe children, you would fall into this area. I'd like to go right back to the very beginning, to those early days in the history of the New Covenant Church, when the apostles were teaching, when you could still hear men like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and others expounding the Word of God. And you know that many Others have argued that. There's often a, a thought and a, um, and a yearning that we get back to the roots. We get back to the very beginning of the purity of the apostolic church, the church of the apostles. And yet, as we read this book of 1 Corinthians, we're also Reminded that the more things change, the more they stay the same. If we think that today the church in Canada and in the broader Reformed community has problems, well, there were problems many in the church at Corinth. There was fighting and disputes between different factions within the church. Some saying, I'm of Apollos. Some saying, I am of Paul. There were serious problems of sexual immorality, and the elders of the church were not addressing them. There were issues of chaos in the worship, people throwing off all order and lawfulness in what they were doing. There was even confusion about central articles of the gospel, even the resurrection of the dead being denied, and some either engaging in or being tempted to engage in the sin of idolatry, as we considered this morning from the 10th chapter. And where we see such things, it ought not to surprise us, because Sin is still sin. People are still people. Maybe some of the specific instances of the church at Corinth may be unfamiliar to us. But the principles at work, how to address problems in our churches, in our families, in our own personal lives, those abide and never change. God is still God. Christ is still Christ. And his word and his law, his gospel, they still direct us in the way that we should and that we must go. We consider this chapter 
somewhat in the morning, focusing obviously on its teaching concerning the Lord's Supper, but also looking a bit at the surrounding context. It was in remembering the truth of the Lord's Supper and paying attention to that communion which we enjoy by faith to our great head and mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, that was to provide the principle, the truth, that would help some of these confused Christians understand the changes that needed to be made. So as we consider and reflect upon what a great privilege we enjoyed this morning in celebrating the Lord's Supper, I bring us back to this chapter and focus particularly on those words that I read in verse 12, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. You know, there may be a temptation to imagine that having received such great benefits, having prepared for the Lord's Supper, having received the Lord's Supper, having been blessed by the Lord's Supper, that you and I may not be experiencing severe temptations, trials, and problems in the week ahead. But the reality is that sometimes it's when we come down from the mountaintop that the depths of the valleys of this life are waiting for us. Let us consider these words under the theme, Lest you fall. Lest you fall. I want to consider with you the lesson the danger, and the responsibility. Lest you fall, the lesson, the danger, the responsibility. But him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. These words come to us in the context of some of the most interesting uh, examples of covenant theology that we find in the Bible. You know, that's a bit um, of an unusual way to put it. It's the way theologians talk. But it's an accurate description of what is going on here in this chapter. You see, in order to give some guidance to the church here in Corinth, Paul has been expounding the relationship between the old covenant with the Jewish church and the new covenant with the Catholic or universal church of all nations. And maybe notice that, children, where it says in the very beginning, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud. Fathers. So, if your mom and dad were going to teach you about your family history, they might take out the family album and they might point to your grandfather, your great-grandfather, and say, these are our fathers. But Paul is making a very interesting point. He's talking to a church composed largely of Gentiles, non-Jews. And yet he's pointing two things that happened under the covenant of the Jews in the days of the Lord's servant Moses. Moses. 
And there's a most interesting way that it speaks about some things. You notice how much of the history of the Jews it speaks about, but in an unusual way. Let me show you what he mean, what I mean. He says, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual drink and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. There's a lot of things spoken about there. You remember, children, don't you, how it was that the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea when God parted the waters and Moses and Aaron and Miriam and all the multitude, they passed in between the walls of water and then the whole water came crashing down upon the Egyptian army. And you remember that they were led, weren't they? They were led by a great pillar of cloud by day. That was the angel of the Lord guiding the people and leading them through the wilderness. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? He speaks here about how the people of Israel, they were baptized into Moses in those events, in the cloud and in the sea. Now, what is going on here? Well, it gets even stranger still. There's the language of eating meat. You remember that was talking about the manna, that, that angel food that fell down from heaven every morning, enough for them all to be filled as they wandered through the wilderness. And it talks here about that great episode of the rock. You remember how all the people were thirsty. They were thinking they were about to die. And, and then all of a sudden God led the people by the hand of Moses and the elders. And they went to a great big rock. And Moses, he struck that rock with his rod. And all the water gushed out and they drank their fill. Now, what's interesting here is that this is the exact same language that is used in this book of the uh, First Corinthians in order to describe the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. So first we heard of baptism, and now the Lord's Supper. Look ahead at First Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So there, it's talking about how believers, they are baptized not only with the water, but also with the spirit in their baptism. And also in the Lord's Supper, they don't just drink from wine, but they drink from the spirit. These are spiritual things. And now, Moses, he's exp or, or Paul, he's explaining how all of these people in the days of Moses, they experienced the same spiritual blessings, but with all of these great acts of God, the Red Sea, the cloud, the manna, and the rock. 
and other things mentioned as well. Now, if you're thinking, if you're thinking, you might uh, imagine that there's a big difference between these things, isn't there? After all, not all of those people in the uh, Jewish church, not all of them had the kind of faith that true Christians have. Many of them were unbelievers. And yet, what it's speaking about here is that they receive the same spiritual blessings as believers today if they receive these things in faith. Notice how it says that this was spiritual drink and how it was spiritual meat. Notice how it says that that rock and the water that came of it, that was Christ. Not Christ as though the rock was the, the person of our Lord, but that the grace and the person and the work of Christ It was signified in these things. It was sealed in these things. What does this remind us of? But that these are sacraments. Sacraments. Yes, there's a difference, of course, between what we call uh, ordinary sacraments and extraordinary sacraments. As our fathers drew the distinction, they would say that things like circumcision... And the Passover meal functioned under the Old Covenant as regular sacraments in order to encourage the Lord's people, in order to strengthen their faith. But also, there were extraordinary sacraments. Yes, things that that were a mighty act of the Lord's power, but they were designed in order to apply and to reveal the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to believers. Both the righteousness of faith and the comfort of that faith as it was revealed and applied to them. Listen to what John Calvin says about this whole section. For what does Paul mean to say here but that the ancient people of God were honored with the same benefits with us and were partakers of the same sacraments that we might not from confiding in any peculiar privilege Imagine that we would be exempted from the punishment which they endured. So you see, in the same way in which God set apart his covenant people through the Red Sea and through the cloud, through the, um, through the rock and through the manna, as he nurtured and sustained and blessed and saved his people, Through these means under the old covenant, so also the very same spiritual blessings are conferred to God's elect under the new covenant in our baptism and in our sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so there's this connection. There is this illustration from covenant theology. We are to learn the lesson as he speaks here in uh, verse uh, 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. You see, there's different ways in which you can approach your Bible. 
You can read all this Old Testament as though that was all just a bunch of stories with no relevance to yourself. You can read all the history of the Jews and read of all their sins, read of all of the ways they transgressed the law of God, read of all the judgments that fell upon them. And you can say, well, certainly I would never fall in for such things as that. I am different. And yet Paul speaks differently. He says that this is a lesson that you must take to heart. This is something you must pay attention to and you must understand for yourself. So it is verse 12. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We need to pay, pay attention to this brothers and sisters in the Lord, as we go ahead to this next week, as we come from this place of worship and privilege, where the Lord has displayed his power, grace, and love unto us in a special way, that we may not fall into this very same dangers of our fathers of the faith under the old covenant. Well, as far as we see the basic lesson, I think I've outlined the kind of argument that's being made here. But now let us look at this specific danger that is spoken of, the, the danger that is highlighted. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Well, that seems easy enough, doesn't it? I mean, children, maybe you've sometimes done this. Maybe you're running across uh, the slippery floor a little too fast on your sock feet and you're not paying attention. All of a sudden, you fall flat on your face. And, And maybe you get hurt and you cry a little bit and mommy or daddy, they have to hug you and make sure that you're okay. That can sometimes happen. And maybe mommy or dad say, well, I'm sorry you hurt yourself, but this is why we need to be careful. We need to be careful. Well, it's also what the Bible's teaching us here. We need to be careful, not just that we fall flat on our faces, but that we fall in a much more serious way. What are some of the ways in which the Jewish church of the old covenant fell. These, these people from the days of Moses that Paul is talking about here. Well, the, the prominent thing, of course, that we spoke about this morning is the sin of idolatry. Idolatry. That's, that's very clear. Look at verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters as, some, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. A quotation from Exodus 32 there, verse 6, where it speaks about the behavior of the people of Israel. When Moses was away on the mountain and Aaron, he melted down all of the golden earrings of the people and made unto them a golden calf, an idol. How greatly displeasing was this to God that, as it were, on like the wedding night between God and his precious bride, the the Jewish church. She could have fallen into such wicked adultery, going after this idol made by their own hands. 
Of course, not only spiritual adultery and, and idolatry, but also the, the physical adultery as well. You see how it warns against fornication in verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Quoting of the events of Numbers 25, where you might remember the, uh, the pagan prophet Balaam uh, tempted the Israelites to go after idolatry again, only this time by enticing them to the sexual immorality of the Moabite prostitutes. You see, these were problems in the days of the Jewish church, problems in the days of the Corinth church, also problems today. Going after false worship and false theology, I hope that would not be a problem here. But is it a problem where it comes to our wandering hearts, our wandering eyes? Is our relationships and our marriages pure? Are we seeking to uphold the sanctity of our marriage vows and our marriage covenant? Are we seeking to be men and women of integrity? If the Lord would examine us and try us in this in recent days and weeks, would there be sin in the camp that must be cast out? Lest, as we saw that terrible judgment of 23,000 falling. All other things are mentioned here. There was murmuring against the leaders of the Lord and ultimately against God himself. And in all these things, you see that there was this overarching problem that the people of God had again and again were resting, resting upon a sense of their own entitlement, their own privilege, their own safety. And then they fall. They fall into grievous sin. We do understand, don't we, that there are different ways in which one can fall into sin. Different ways. We can say that one who is standing in the privileges of the gospel externally, having maybe made a confession of faith, having received either one or both sacraments, having indeed taken on a name within the people of God as a true believer. Yet, if there is not reality, if there is not a sincerity before the Lord in casting themselves upon the mercy of God in Christ and of truly repenting of their sins, then they are like the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, looking good on the outside, but on the inside having death and corruption. For such to fall away into the enslaving power of sin, even to open apostasy and rejection of the Lordship of Christ and the true profession of their faith, it is a most dreadful and horrifying thing. It is possible for those to go out from us who were never truly of us. And the warning goes out to you. If you are not truly a believer, if you are not truly born again, if you are not converted unto the Lord, 
Take heed. Take heed to yourself. Look at yourself. Examine yourself. Do you not understand what a perilous position you may be? Having tempted the Lord, time without number, having sinned against the Lord, grumbled against the Lord, indeed offended him grievously with your sins, and yet not ultimately reckoning with the greatest of all sins, rejecting his gospel. There's a warning there, certainly for the false Christian, but also even for the true Christian. For the true Christian, we understand, don't we, that like uh, Peter fell away greatly. Though all men should forsake you, Jesus, I will never forsake you. And then before the third crow uh, of the rooster, there he was denying his Lord before a servant girl. Consider David, a man after the Lord's own heart, one who is bold and valiant for the cause of Jehovah God. Yet, in an instant, it seems, there he beholds a woman that he lusts after. He seeks her, he takes her, and even engages not only in adultery, but also murder as well, falling into the most heinous of sins, only rescued rescued from the grip of the devil by indeed coming to himself under the preaching of the prophet Nathan and the restoration grace of the Lord. But we understand, don't we? We understand that those things are horrifying. Those things are grievous. Even take the best of examples, one who is yet a true believer, and God will ultimately save them and bring them unto repentance. We understand that if one of us should fall, if you or I should dishonor the name of Christ by falling into such grievous, heinous sin. What devastation will be wrought upon the cause of Christ, upon those near and dear unto us? And how will we have dishonored and grieved the Holy Spirit? How will we have treaded the very blood of the Son of God underfoot? How will we have offended our great and glorious Father? Oh, will you take heed? Will you look to yourself? Will you pay attention to where you place your step? We are no different, no different by nature. We may fall into innumerable sins. This week, surely the devil and his demons, they have assigned unto us and all true believers a strategy in order to cause us to fall. Maybe suddenly, maybe gradually, maybe in a great thing, maybe in a small thing. But wherever there's a point of entrance, he would have us to dishonor our Lord. We understand we live in a dark and a a sin-filled world. An apostate nation saturated with temptation, saturated with false doctrine, saturated with sexual immorality. And the occasions to sin are are innumerable. You can even sin in a righteous cause by pursuing the wrong manner. You can seek to stand for the Lord and then in an instant fall into hatred, fall into maliciousness, fall into bitterness, fall into discouragement, fall into doubt. 
the multitude of sins and the occasions for sins, they should press upon us and make us recognize that we are not strong in ourselves, but incredibly weak. Incredibly weak. And I've already said something about those who depend upon us. Yes, there is the opportunities to hurt those we love if, if we should fall, but also the necessity that we stand. Our children, our grandchildren, our dependents, our spouses, our friends and brothers and sisters in the faith. If we could stand, if we could endure, how would the Lord use us? How would the Lord use you and me to make a great, uh, a great impression and an, uh, a great advance for his cause and kingdom in our generation? There is this hanging in the balance of the very glory of God and the salvation of souls. Great and weighty matters here. And yet at every point we may fall. Listen to these texts that speak about the temptation towards pride. Proverbs 28 verse 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely he shall be delivered. Proverbs 16 verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And then on the flip side, Proverbs 28, verse 14. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Oh, would you consider these things? Consider also, consider also that those who would walk in pride and a haughty spirit, thinking that they are in, uh, in, invulnerable to such dangers, that they must reckon with the Lord on the great day of judgment. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. It seems to also be what the apostle have in, has in mind where he, he speaks in verse 11 there upon uh, whom the ends of the world are come. And for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in these last days is not what will sober us, that we must face our master and our Lord. We must give an accounting for how we have lived and what we've done. I don't know what can stir up fear and caution and carefulness in the heart of a true believer. These things are so vital. The danger is great. The opportunities are there. But we stand in such desperate need of help. Desperate need of help. And that... I bring to the third point, the responsibility, the responsibility. Here we see this taking heed, taking careful looks at ourselves. If we think we stand, if we stand before the Lord in his grace and favor, if we stand before him in faith, then we look and we examine ourselves and we prepare. 
we prepare for the next stage of our spiritual battle, our spiritual pilgrimage as good soldiers for the Lord. And this responsibility is one that looks unto the great sufficiency of our God. Recognizing that we have the ability to fall. Recognizing that it is but a hair's breadth away at any point. If we stand further, it is by the grace of God. Look with me at the verse that follows in verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. An interesting argument. Maybe you're hearing what I'm saying, and it's actually driving home to you. I need to pay attention to this. It is a dangerous world out there, one with many opportunities to fall. And maybe you've, you've thought of this as well. Well, I think of the temptations I've already fallen into. I think of all the times in which I've been there, flat on my face, an utter fool, liable unto the chastening, if not the very judgment of God. How is it that I can hope to stand, even if I do, however precariously? Well, the argument here is that there's no temptation that's taken you which is not common to man. In one sense, you could say the the very surface meaning is this. That yes, there is this commonality of all fallen humanity. And indeed, all Christians sharing this common nature, we have a like weakness. We have a like tendency to fall into temptations. And yet we are still dealing with the plane, with the level of human beings here. You look at yourself and you say, yes, on my side, I can't imagine how I could stand in the face of such danger and temptation." But he takes it one step further there in the 13th verse. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. There it is. You may say, I am but a man. I am but a woman. I am but flesh. I am but fallen. I am one with a corrupted and sinful nature. How could I hope to stand? Well, here is this. God is not man. God is almighty. All of the issues of life are in his hand. He controls and governs all things. And whereas it may, it may seem that your temptation, wherever, whatever it may be, whenever it may come, is too strong for you to bear. Well, here is a, a great promise. Upon the faithfulness of God, his steadfast love, his commitment unto his people in Christ Jesus, he will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Have you not found that to be true, Christian? Yes, there the temptation comes on like a flood, threatening to overwhelm. And yet there is that one opportunity of escape, the parting of the waters, 
And there you can see in the distance, there it is. You can find your way back to shore. Not indeed by succumbing to your own weakness, but by leaning upon his invincible strength and power in the gospel. He has said he is with you, Christian. He has said that his eternal love rests upon you. He has said that Christ himself has shed his blood for you. And he has said that he would commune with you in his death and in his broken body and in his shed forth blood. And should he go back on his promise? No, hold forth before your mind the greatness of your Savior's love in dying for you. Consider the, the, what it took in order to redeem you from the clutches of the devil and the power of sin. Regard this temptation as a heinous and a wicked thing, for the sin that presents itself is that for which your Savior died. That which should indeed entice your flesh becomes that which is repulsive when considered in the light of the cross. All of providence is directed in this way. So that wherever you may find yourself, Christian, however it may be that you are enticed unto sin, the Lord will govern it all. The Lord will present before you that opportunity to escape as you consider the awesome and the solemn privileges and the promises of his faithfulness in Christ Jesus. But surely... Surely these things would not need to be said if it was merely an automatic process, as though you could become careless, become carefree. No, you must take heed to yourself. You must lay hold of these things. You must become aware of the calling that you have. This is your life. This is your God addressing you. This is your future. And here is an opportunity as we enter into the remainder of this week. Will you take heed? Will you exercise caution? Or will you fall? Will you fall? Well, I praise God. I praise God that there are opportunities even for the fallen. But there are also those who also tempt God for too long to the point where they harden themselves to their own destruction and damnation. I would be remiss if I did not close with this solemn warning that we know not, we know not how many opportunities you may have. How many opportunities you may have to become serious about the things of God. How many opportunities you may have in order to take care to your own soul, to your own walk with the Lord, and to the very honor and glory of our Christ. Will you take this opportunity now? to cast yourself upon his mercy, to receive of his good promise of faithfulness in the hour of temptation. And will you, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand. May God give us this grace in abundant measure.